the only way stigma goes away is by talking about it, is by educating. Representative Valerie Longhurst wants to take conversations about mental health to the classroom. It's an upstream approach addressing mental health concerns head on. You don't wait for the addiction, the suicide, the homelessness, the incarceration. You know, that's the result of all this. If we start taking the approach in the state of Delaware that we're upstream instead of downstream, we're going to be far ahead of every other state. Annie Slee says it's also time to change how we talk about mental illness, choosing the right language as we collectively work to raise awareness. When it comes to language, I think it's really important for everybody, whether they're affected personally by mental illness or not, to just be aware of the way that they're talking about mental health and mental illness. The overall goal is to strengthen awareness, especially among young people statewide. And we're joined by Representative Valerie Longhurst, Annie Sleese of the National Alliance on Mental Illness in Delaware, as well as a mother who decided to turn the tragic loss of her son into a survival guide for others. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, you're listening to Whip Count. I'd like to take this time to welcome House Majority Leader Valerie Longhurst, Annie Sleese of the National Alliance on Mental Illness in Delaware to Whip Count. Thank you, ladies, for joining us to discuss this very important topic about mental health. And actually, Annie, I, I would love to chat with you about, should we say mental health or mental illness? Or mental uh, but, wellness. Yeah, or mental wellness. But thank you so much for making time to discuss this. The pandemic has truly heightened and or accelerated, basically, the mental health crisis. And I think this is a great time to really discuss uh, some bills, some pieces of legislation that we have going on in Delaware, and to also help people understand the proper language as well. But I want to start off with you, Val. You've been very vocal about mental health for years and empowering young people to take charge and not to ignore their mental well-being. Uh, for those who do not know your story, can you explain and tell some of the folks uh, why this is such a big passion of yours? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for um, having this conversation. It's important. And to erase the stigma, you have to talk about it. You have to elevate it. And that's what we're doing. So, you know, my journey with um, mental wellness starts at a young age for myself. Growing up in a household with my mom, who was an alcoholic, she tried to commit suicide a couple times, um, unsuccessfully, thank God. And um, I have a sister and two brothers. And we had a father that was absent and just dealing with that and having to go to school relocating from home to home you know you have challenges and people don't realize that those challenges that you have if nobody's there to support you you know can put you into a bad position and i know personally sitting in the classroom trying to learn the 50 states and all their capitals wasn't my priority it was just me getting through my day and not having anybody to talk about, talk to, it was very challenging. And, you know, as, you know, Chris Locke has says that back in the day, you used to say, suck it up. Sucking it up is not good enough. It is not good enough. And when I think back at those days and the, the experience that I had, you know, I was fortunate that I found sports. Sports was, which is what got me out of my, um, out of my day. And I excelled at it and I did very well. 
And if it wasn't for sports, I don't know where I'd be today. Um, but I did have a twin sister who my twin sister and I are very close and we had each other to fall back on. Not everybody has that opportunity or has that sibling or has the, um, you know, ha- have a, a specialty that they can have an outlet to. Um, so, you know, I kind of put that on the back burner of my life and I never really thought about it until I uh, got this job at the executive director of the Pal of Delaware and I started seeing firsthand some of the experiences that kids had that I had. And you can't expect a child to succeed unless you give them the mental wellness that they need and understand what they're going through. You'd be surprised how many kids are, you know, behind the scenes or dealing with or struggling. And, you know, the way that I look at it is we could, as a legislator, I get to see at the back end of incarceration, homelessness, addiction. We are putting Band-Aids every day on this issue. And what we don't do is we don't look upstream. We're always fixing it downstream. And this is an upstream cause that we're working on. You ha- The only way to break the stigma is by addressing it. House Bill 100 was my first shot at it to say we need more counselors in schools, kids need to go to school, and they need to have somebody to talk to to understand what they're going through. They can't learn. We cannot educate unless a child understands what's going on in their lives. Once we can get past that and we address it, they can move forward and be productive um, citizens in society. They can excel. But we cannot continue to have deal with it on the back end. It's got to be on the front you either invest early or you you pay for it later. And I've been fortunate enough to meet with um, Annie, yes. who we have been talking to for the last few years. She's been a champion of this. She has um, actually come into my pal of Delaware and educated my staff on the signs, the symptoms, what we need to do. And it's just something that's very important to me. And I see kids struggling every day. And the hardest part for me is suicide. My mom attempted suicide twice. That's not an easy thing for a child to say. And it's, it's, not, it's an end result of a mental wellness that's not addressed. And, you know, I plan on breaking that stigma with my advocates. And I'm yes. going to continue to push that, that conversation. And we in the state of Delaware will be the state that everybody looks to to say, we are going to go upstream not downstream and that is that's my story and that's what um that's what drives me every day thank you for sharing it because i know it takes a lot for some people to to not remain voiceless Mm -hmm. and so i appreciate you and also annie you as well because you mentioned there is some things that we should know as a community right Mental health versus mental illness. Explain, is there a difference? Sure, sure. So first of all, thank you for allowing me to be here. And thank you, Representative Longhurst, for your championing of these amazing legislative uh, uh, initiatives that are going to make such a difference for our, for our kids and for our families. When it comes to language, I think it's really important for everybody, whether they're affected personally by mental illness or not, to just be aware of the way that they're talking about mental health and mental illness. And to answer your question, they are different. Mental health is something we all have. Mm -hmm. It's because we're alive, so we we shouldn't be upset that we have mental health. We should actually probably be happy about that because that means we're alive. Mental illness is when our mental health has become compromised to the point where it's reached a diagnosable 
place, right? So the symptoms that someone's live, uh, living through have reached a level where a clinician, a professional, can identify a diagnosis. Now, I don't want to think that mental illness and mental health um, are, are, well, mental illness is not a black or white, on or off kind of situation. It's mm-hmm. a continuum. On that mental health continuum, just like our regular health, right, our physical health, what we think about when we think about waking up with a scratchy throat one day, we don't rush to the doctor or to the ER because our throat is kind of scratchy. We think, hmm, maybe I need a cough drop, right? But if that that symptom worsens and it really impacts our lives and the people around us to the point where I'm not feeling like myself anymore, I really ought to talk to a professional and figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to be talking about when it comes to mental health problems. And I loved your language, Representative Longhurst, around mental wellness because that's really our goal, Mm -hmm. right? So mental health being that continuum, mental illness is when our mental health is compromised, but mental wellness is when we are feeling good. And people with mental illness can and will feel wellness. And people who don't have mental illness can and will at times feel those symptoms that make them think they have a diagnosis. What I think is important with our language is that we don't lean into things that we're not qualified to do. So we don't diagnose ourselves, we Mm -hmm. don't diagnose our friends, and we certainly don't use diagnoses to describe other people. But we also need to feel okay about talking about how we really are feeling and consult professionals when we think we might need some help. How do we overcome the the stigma? Uh, How long is your podcast? I know. (laughs) (laughs) The stigma of mental health or mental illness, rather. It can be self-inflicted or even public stigma. How can we work towards ending that? If it would be okay, I think I'll back up and explain a little bit about how I know stigma, and that is personal. So I do work for a National Alliance on Mental Illness in Delaware now, but only for five years have I been doing that. Before that, I was a teacher, and I was, I am also a parent. And it was through that uh, experience raising two teenagers that I first encountered stigma. However, I didn't know that's what it was. I was an English teacher. I knew words. I knew what words meant. And I, if you had asked me, sure, I could have told you, oh, stigma, that's like a negative mm-hmm. impression of something. But it never occurred to me that stigma was what was impacting my household, my child, and me, and keeping us from finding the treatment that we needed to be a complete and healthy family. And so when we're talking about society and what we can do about ending the stigma, there's so many things it, like that's why I joked how long is your podcast but the easiest thing we can do is to watch what we say to think about things like mental wellness and looking at that as the goal right but also not looking at it as oh you can't have wellness because you have a diagnosis oh no you absolutely can right um, the other thing is words that might have begun to be used around mental illness Take, for example, the word crazy. The root of that word, and forgive me, I can't recall what it is. It's, a, I think, a Greek word. But it actually stems from just what we're talking about, right? But people today throw that word around. They describe all sorts of things. They describe the weather. They describe the traffic. But what is it they're trying to say when they use that word? 
they're saying something's unpredictable, something's disappointing, something's irritating, something's um, scary. Mm -hmm. And when you use that word, whether you're describing a person or whether you're describing the weather, you are somehow perpetuating the stereotype of mental illness. So I would recommend as a first step, just listen. It's a really hard word to stop using. I got to be honest with you. Yes. And um, my personal walk with this started when I started working with NAMI Delaware because our staff has decided we're not using that word. We just don't. We call yeah. it the C word and we don't use it. I have to be honest that it wasn't easy to eliminate that word from my language, but I started with just listening for it. And when I would listen, I would think, what word did they really mean? Did they really mean scary? Did they really mean upsetting? You know, what? And then being the English teacher, I think, oh, word choice opportunity, right? I could choose a better word instead. And so that's really the, the direction I took with it. And I shared with my family, my husband, my, um, my close friends. And we've all kind of tried to adopt that idea. And while I don't think it's going to happen overnight, I do think it can be possible because if you look at the R word, and for those of you listening, if you're really young, you might not know what the mm -hmm. R word actually stands for. But my age, I'm 51 years old, when I grew up, the R word was spoken. Yes. That word was yeah. used, it was used to describe people in a very hurtful way. And society not only eliminated the R word when thinking of n describing people in that hurtful way, they've just eliminated it. You hardly ever hear it. Because what use is it, right? That's what I think can happen with the word crazy. And I think it's just one tiny step we can all take toward looking at mental health and mental illness in a, in a fair, safe way and to, to keep people from, from, from missing out on the treatment that they, they deserve. And to build on what Annie says, that's why House Bill 3, 301 is important. You beat me to it. Uh, because I, the I thing was going to beat you to it because <laughs> that was a great lead-in to 301. Yes. 301 is to put a, a curriculum in from K through 12th grade. You have to talk about it. You have to understand it. You have to know the symptoms. Once children in that age range start having that conversation, then they're going to know that the, what the R word means. They're, they're going to know that crazy isn't crazy. And they're going to see that their peers are, are, are have some of the same issues that they have. And they're going to be able to identify it, talk about it. And the only way stigma goes away is by talking about it, is by educating. And this bill, 301, is a game changer for that discussion and to erase that stigma because we're having the conversation here, but that conversation needs to happen in the schools. It needs to happen with the teachers. It needs to happen with the children. It needs to happen with the counselors, the principals, the custodians. Everybody needs to have that conversation. And, and 301, I, to me, is a game changer in, in Delaware. And I think we're, other states are gonna look at us and say they're doing it right and this is how you erase the stigma. And it's the education piece of it that's important. And the R word was an education piece. Now people know that that's not the word to be using. There's other words that you could replace it with and we're going to do that. It may not happen overnight and it won't happen overnight, but those kindergartners that are gonna learn it, by the time they're in middle school, 
they're going to be like game on. They they're going to understand it, and 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 that's why three hundred one is so important, and that's why we are going to push to get it done. You know, we passed it in the House. It's going over the Senate. I talked to Senator McBride. She's excited to get the bill and get moving on it. And I, it's going to be a game changer. And everything that Annie said is is what this bill is going to do. I find it pretty alarming. I'm so happy that you're working on all that you do. You know, I stand 100% behind you, Representative yep. Longhurst. It's so alarming to find out that according to the CDC, one in six children actually have been diagnosed with some sort of disorder, right? And these bills and the resources are truly needed in Delaware. Would you like to share some Can resources? Can I just add something to that? Mm-hmm. That's why it's important to be upstream, not downstream. Yes. And, and what you say is, you know, one in six children, and we've had a high amount of suicides lately. That's why it's important to fix it upstream. I am an upstream person. You get it up here. You don't wait for the addiction, the suicide, the homelessness, the incarceration. You know, that's the result of all this. If we start taking the approach in the state of Delaware that we're upstream instead of downstream, we're going to be far ahead of every other state and hopefully we'll be a model because I think we will be. Right. Um, Because that's the way that you should govern. That's the way that you should educate. And that's the direction that we as a state need to be moving forward. And Absolutely. You know, I didn't want to interrupt you, no, but I, I, yeah. needed to, I needed to get <laughs> yeah. that in there. That is so key to this right. as we go upstream, not downstream. Yeah. I mean, I think depending on where you look, it's either one in five or one in six. Yeah. It really depends on the, the, the where you're consulting today. But I like to say that one in five or that one in six, yes, we absolutely need to validate and address those concerns. But what about the other ones? Yeah. What about the other four? or the other five, depending on what data you're looking at. And those other people, they can be the source of strength. They can be the helpers. They can be the connectors. They can be the observers. And that's where the education piece comes in. Mm -hmm. But also, when you look at that data, we need to make sure that we have the professionals in place to address those concerns, address them comprehensively, and to address them Um, like you're saying, upstream and early. You know, 50% of lifetime mental illnesses begin by the age of 14. I have to tell you, if if there were only one fact that I would have known with my own child, if I had known that very fact, I think my story would have been different. And for so many families, they don't know because they're so oppressed by the societal stigma that keeps them from even asking questions. Um, The other, I think, piece of this when we think about what we can do as a society, we need to educate our kids. And I love that you mentioned our educators because as an educator myself, I have to give a shout out to all teachers right now and tell you thank you for what you're doing because I know how hard it is. Mm -hmm. But also to recognize that educators aren't experts in everything. I'm here to tell you. I have a master's degree in education. I am no expert in everything. But what I will do is my homework. And I will learn what I need to teach so that I can teach it confidently and with with the appropriateness that my students deserve it. That's what will happen with this curriculum bill. Yeah. Because our educators need to know this too. Mm -hmm. I was a grown-up and there were lots of things I didn't know, like I said. And I'm clear, I'm open about talking about that. But I think our educators have an opportunity now too to address stigma that they didn't even realize existed. Yes. Let me give an example. People assume 
that people living with mental illness will be violent. Did you know that the data shows that is absolutely not true? It is far more likely for someone with a mental illness to be the victim of mm-hmm. violence or to, to um, be self-harming, to die by suicide, than it is for them to be violent towards someone else. Only about 4% of violent crime is attributed to people with mental illness, but our society doesn't yeah. understand that. And those are the kinds of things that can really... Uh, develop in these curriculum uh, conversations that we're talking about. And Annie does such a great job of bringing the education piece to this down here in Legislative Hall. But one thing I want to touch on what Annie was saying as a teacher is that HB 100 and HB 300 is a bill that puts more counselors, psychologists, and social workers in the schools. We have to let the teachers teach, and we have to let the professionals do their job. So as much as like we put on our teachers – HB 100 and HB 300 will allow them to educate our students and to teach them. HB 100 and 300 will allow our counselors and our psychologists to do their job. And we haven't done that in our state. We have not let the teachers teach. We expect them to be a jack of all trades. (laughs) And that's not their job. They need to teach. Everybody has a role in society and a role in our school. And by allowing more counselors and um, psychologists in our school relieves the teachers and lets them be teachers and has our professionals being the professionals they need to be and that's why 100 and 300 is so important and yes you can have a master's degree at teaching but you should not be the one who's who is is having to do crisis intervention Absolutely. having to explain it it could be having built to understand into, it yeah, they, yeah it could be built into their curriculum but sure. they're not the they're not the ones who should be doing that that's right, right? And, and and changing the structure and the unit count is a game changer like these bills i keep saying the game changer but they are a game changer in what we're trying to accomplish and to erase that stigma and to you know and to fix it up front not down so you know i just want to bounce that off as being a teacher and an educator you went to school to be a teacher and educator yeah that's right i'd never studied psychology i never i never assumed that i would be doing anything but your life skills gives you that that what you've dealt i often tell people it takes more than just time when it comes to investing in the community and helping it takes heart Mm -hmm. so any last words would you like to share like any words you Oh, well, you know, if if people are listening and they're wondering what can they do, (laughs) I would say come out to our walk on May 7th. We are um, having, we're hosting our Newcastle County Walk at Bellevue State Park, May 7th, Saturday morning. (laughs) Oh, that's good. But there's also one in Kent County and one in Sussex. So if anyone has interest, check out our website, namidelaware.org. We would love to have you involved. And really our organization is rooted in volunteers. That's how I started doing the work I'm doing. I found NAMI Delaware through family support group two years after the crisis in my household. And it changed my life. And yeah. game changer it was for me. But I was a volunteer for many uh, years before I joined the staff. And, and really most of the people that do this work are volunteers. So we would love to have people help us help us with this work. Thank you. We're going to break for a split second. I'm going to well, bring let me just, in. If, mm-hmm. if I could just add, like, I will be there. Yay. But, you know, the last word that I would say is that call your state representative, call your senator, call the, the governor let them know that this is an important issue and that these bills need to be passed. If you want to be active in, in, in breaking that stigma, contact your legislator. Contact the governor's office.
I'd like to take this time now to introduce someone new to the panel, to our studio, Wendy Eastburn Teal. She's a community advocate and will discuss and, and talk about some mental health and different things that parents and guardians can do uh, inside of their homes. Welcome. Thank you. Wendy, is it is it safe to say this is not only a, a passion of yours, right, but something that you feel most compelled to do after losing uh, your son? If you can share with us a little bit about about uh, your son and, and what transpired. Sure. Uh, my son was Nolan Whitman, is Nolan Whitman. Um, he was 18 in September and um, was just beloved. He, they, they named him the mayor of Charter School of Wilmington when he was a freshman. Um, at his service, not only did the friends come, but those that were ahead of him in classes all the way through their senior year, um, all the way to the current freshman attended because he just touched everyone. Uh, my son was uh, a jokester. He was king of one-liners starting at age four. Uh, he knew how to make people smile and I knew most of his antics and he was famous for his antics. Um, he had a couple beliefs that were just hysterical. You, you absolutely need to make friends first with the people in authority because then they'll let you get away with things and <laughs> they may be nicer to you and they're gonna say yes more often. And when you get in trouble, sometimes they sweep it under the rug. So he was just very social um, and very, very beloved. He was also, um, I would call, I guess, ha has been called the underdog. Uh, Nolan was born ill with hydrocephalus. He went through several years of therapy and getting back to, you know, what they thought he would not be, which was he was not cognitive cognitively delayed he was not physically delayed um, but he was short um, I'm five foot he was five two so I mean it's not too far of a stretch but his brother was six three so Nolan grew up with giant as a brother as a competitor and he was fearless he didn't fear anything um, he I, I think that the best way to describe Nolan is he fought to play football which, no, you were born with a head problem. You're not playing football. He convinced me. And so in fifth grade, he played, and he got a concussion and a brain bleed, and then continued to beg me to let him play in high school, which, of course, that was over my dead body. And then I found them on the football field looking to where to put my dead body so they could run over it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I told him, beginning of eighth grade, that if he wanted to play football, then he needed to get A's and B's. And I told him that he needed to write a uh, research paper on concussions. And I told him he needed to pay for all of his own equipment because he's not going to use borrowed equipment. And I told him he needed to get a mentor and he needed to do whatever the mentor said. And there was like seven or eight other things he had to do. Yeah. Well, uh -huh. not only did he get good grades, he got the president's award. Not only did he get a mentor, he got a former NFL player as a mentor. And that 
NFL player told him, you know, keep playing baseball, keep doing what he's already doing, told him to wrestle. He came in like second in districts and he'd never wrestled before. He came in second in track in districts and so he'd sa- never run track. So he sounds like a pretty awesome Very child dedicated. And, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, we understand that the loss is still very new, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But you still have found the strength to help other people Mm -hmm. and parents. And and you put on a event not long ago Mm -hmm. tailored to help folks who may need to, folks who may need help identifying maybe some sort of behavior changes Mm -hmm. in their children. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. So that came about because I reached out to tell Nolan's story. And I just wanted to tell Nolan's story about the darkness that our kids are in. And Nolan wasn't the only one. Nolan didn't have a mental illness. that He didn't die from mental illness. He didn't have that. There was no signs. There was nothing. He had a bad day that day. And outside of that, he was so happy. And so, of course, the pandemic hit him hard because he's so social and isolation hurt him. Well, it didn't just hurt him. A lot of kids are in isolation. A lot of kids are in darkness and they don't know who to tell and they don't know what to say and they don't even know what they're feeling and parents don't recognize and they're going through their own things. So I just wanted to tell Nolan's story that we need to recognize and get our kids out of this darkness that they're in. Um, And that kind of blew up. And when it blew up on on Facebook, um, of course people were interested and oh, I'm going to talk if they're interested. And within 24 hours, I had more calls from people in authority and newspapers and about 50 organizations that wanted to be included in my voice, almost all mental health related. I had no idea. I had no idea how much was out there. I just wanted to tell Nolan's story. And I'm glad you brought that up because... We have Representative Longhurst who she has an idea of what's out there and she's been working on so many different pieces of legislation that we already pretty much discussed, but educating children also to help them identify uh, warning signs or just different changes in their peers' behavior, Right. right? And so what would any one of you like to say to someone who could be listening right now and they may not be in the brightest space, mm-hmm. what would you say to them, Representative Longhurst? So, so first I want to say that, you know, I was at that event and I was one of the people on the Facebook <laughs> and your story touched me deeply because of the of what I've been working on. And, you know, we did call and talk to each other and mm-hmm. I was there. And I just have to say that, like, you know, I got involved in politics because my daughter had an autoimmune disease and there's nothing more powerful than a mom who who has found her her journey Mm -hmm. it you didn't find it down the road that you wanted to find it but you're going to make a difference and a mother's love for their child is something that you just can't describe and you know that facebook posting pulled at my heartstrings and it's so close to me just because I'm doing so much with suicide prevention. And I just want to thank you for being the person that steps up and letting her voice be heard and telling Nolan's story over and over again. Because the only th- way that we're going to change the stigma, the only way that we're going to beat suicide prevention 
is by people like you stepping up and mm-hmm. sharing your story. If you don't share your story, they're not going to know. Everybody should know who Nolan is. Everybody mm-hmm. should know the struggles that you are having afterwards. But you're going to make a difference. And we are going to make a difference. And Nolan's going to be proud of you. And yeah. all I could say is that you, you, know, you came into my life and into this legislative hall that you never knew anything about. And you, you're going to make a difference. And I'm glad that you're here. I have tears in my eyes because it's mm-hmm. just it's a very difficult subject for me personally because my mom tried to commit suicide twice unsuccessful right so you know I, I i not on your end and i do have two children that i that i care deeply about um but well i forget what your question was well, but. I, well no 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 worries but i just I, needed to like get that out no and and i'm i'm happy you two had that moment because so often we don't share with others that we can understand and identify with with folks and so I often say this, and I say this a lot, so you may hear this, but your story and your story is someone's survival guide. Always think of it like that, that you can help someone else survive. And so if there's someone listening, and as I mentioned, they're not having a good day, a great day, Mm -hmm. and they're not in the brightest space, Mm -hmm. what would you say to them right now? I would be very clear, and I have been very clear, you are never alone. There is always a way to find light when you're in that darkness. The caution I give everybody is the worst thing you can do in darkness is self-medicate. Because then you're not in a clear head Mm -hmm. and you won't see light. You may think it's numbing something, you may think that you're escaping, but you will make bad choices. The only way to get through darkness is by finding the light. And um, I know if Nolan had one ounce of a thought of me, never. Nolan did make a call at the end to try and get help. He didn't want to die. And if you talk to suicide survivors, those who lived through the ordeal, they always say, I didn't want to die. Mm -hmm. I wanted the pain to stop. And so if you're in darkness and you're in pain, I'll help you stop the pain. I can help you. Medication doesn't. Drugs don't. Alcohol doesn't. They add to the problem. But people talking to each other. The worst guilt I think was felt was with Nolan's friends. They felt they should have seen something. They they walked around just so lost. How did this happen? How did we not know? And how do you think I felt? I gave him my last breath, you know, trying to revive him. And, uh, you know, I... I don't call myself a survivor. I, I died the day that I gave him my last breath, and you can't die and be a survivor at the same time. I will tell you that um, his death touched a lot of communities all the way down to Sussex because he used to go to Camp Arrowhead, and he was just such a friendly kid. Um, actually, the reason we had the event um, at the PAL, and we're going to have more now due to the success of that, was because... One of my son's friend's mom works for the Heroes Helps. I didn't even know that existed. And she called and said, my son knew your son, and I feel obligated to try and help. And she did, and we got people together. And I've been working with Sean's house to get the word out. But if somebody is in a dark place, if you don't think you have anyone else, Wendy will be there. 
And if I could just add that, um, you know, HB 301, which is that education piece, um, when children don't know what to do and their friends don't know what to do, by putting this curriculum into the schools, mm -hmm. we'll have more eyes open and ears open to their friends. And I think what they'll find out is that there's more kids struggling, mm -hmm. more of your friends are struggling than you think. Mm -hmm. I go back to my childhood and some of my best friends, I didn't know some of the issues that they were struggling with, sexual abuse. And I never knew. I, they acted out in a weird way and I really didn't understand it until years later when we had the discussion. And sometimes we keep things quiet and we, we internalize it and keep it within ourselves and we don't know how to share it. 300, HB 301 is going to be built into the curriculum where the kids are gonna understand it from the, from the early stages of kindergarten all the way to, to high school. And I, th I think if, if Nolan was surrounded with other children that saw some of those signs and understood it and know that he wasn't the only one, they're not the only one, and they have that conversation, we wouldn't be sitting here today. And you know that's why I feel 301 is so important, and you, you just nailed it of the importance of you know the children or his friends that are suffering now mm -hmm. without Nolan. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, what could I have done? We don't give resources in our school for them to find no. that. And that's what 301 will do. And as for the heroes, um, you're talking about Newcastle County yes. Police Department, the yes. Behavioral Health Unit. I can tell you I got involved with them early. They have a behavioral health unit. Instead of incarcerating people mm -hmm. with mental illness or mental health issues, they have a behavioral health unit that the state has helped fund to um, counselors to ride along with police officers. And what they do is they go out in the community and they help people. They don't incarcerate them. They don't take the homeless people and just like push them aside and push them somewhere else. They go out every night and they have a routine of meeting up with um, people out in the community that are struggling. And so that we're not having to have gun violence and things like that. So that unit is an amazing unit and it needs to grow. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing a task force right now, behavioral health task force, to put that in all the police departments because mm -hmm. they're on the front lines. They're seeing what happens after suicide. Yeah. They're seeing when somebody wants to try to commit suicide and how they deal with it. And these behavior, that, that unit is an amazing unit. If anybody has an opportunity to drive along with them and see what's going on in the real world, and what the changes that they're making, that's that unit. So all those people that you're inviting to these um, are resources that people you didn't know about. Right. And you're doing a great job of getting that out there because everybody needs to know that these resources exist and we need to do 301. We need to have more counselors. Right. And it's just not, can't just be the parents. It's a community that we yep. have to build around it. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dehousedems, on Twitter at dehousedems, on Instagram also at dehousedems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed.